Joshua, we saw how people come, came into the people of Israel and Rahab and, and all those others who were there when they renewed the covenant. That, that was the purpose of Israel, to bring people into a relationship with God. Now, the Ephesians, as I said, were mostly non-Jewish people. They were Gentiles, and so they had no history with God, like the Israelites. They were, says Paul, excluded from citizenship in Israel. They weren't part of God's people. They knew nothing of all of the great promises that God had made to the Israelites. And they didn't know that those promises affected them. They were separate from Israel. They were set apart. They were divided from Israel. Israel's job was to tell them about God, and they knew nothing about it, and they were definitely not part of God's people. And, and there's a little bit of name-calling there, isn't there? And Paul raises that. He says, uh, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The Jews did not like the Gentiles. They thought they were like scum. A little bit better than a woman, and what was that prayer? Thank you, God, that you have not made me a woman or a Gentile or a slave. Yeah, so, you know, woman, Gentile, slave. I think that covers all of us here. They didn't like them much. But the Gentiles, because they were not the chosen people of God and they weren't being told about God, they lived in this world without God. They had many gods, but they had no relationship with the God who made them and loved them. They had no history with that God. God had chosen Israel, and the Gentiles were on the outer. Israel had a very real advantage over the non-Israelites because God had chosen them. God had chosen to show himself and open up himself to them so that people would, would know who he was and understand his character and, and his great love and, and his plan for the universe. But the Gentiles, says Paul, well, they were born in the flesh. This is, I, I chose this version because it, it brings out that word, in the flesh, and when Paul speaks about the flesh, what he means is life apart from God. Some translations, probably your NIV puts it as the sinful nature. Uh, it's not really the sinful nature because we're going to talk about Jesus in his flesh in a minute, and so Jesus didn't have a sinful nature. But when we're talking about in the flesh, we mean in the world. In the world. The Gentiles were born in a world apart from God. Now, the Israelites had an advantage, yes, except what Paul does with his usual cutting to, to the quick. He says to them, yeah, you called them the circumcision, or you called them the uncircumcision, but your circumcision, circumcision was the sign that you belonged to the people of God. But for the Israelites, instead of being the sign that they belonged to the people of God, well, that's all that it was. That's all that it was. Paul says it was in the flesh, done by humans, it had nothing to do with God, you were just ticking boxes going, yeah, I'm better than you because I'm one of God's people, and meanwhile you don't know God. 
That's what Paul's saying. Gentiles, by birth, by history, by heritage, no connection with God. Israelites have got this incredible connection and history with God. The sign of it and the sign is it's corroded religion. It's an empty trust. There is no real relationship with God there. Paul's focus isn't on the Jewish people here. He's writing to the Gentiles and, and he wants us to remember that we, like them, had nothing going for us. Not even corroded religion. Maybe today, though, we, we in the church think of ourselves more like the Israelites. We have a spiritual, spiritual heritage and a history with God. We do things the right way. We're the goodies. We have communion once a month on a Sunday as it should be. We sing three songs, then we have the offering, then we do another song, then we do a sermon, then we have morning tea. Amen. We definitely do not dance or put your hands in the air like you just love God. <laughs> you could. We do. We do dance and we do do that. But it's so easy for us in the church today to put ourselves in this position of privilege and look down our noses at others and be like Israel instead of saying, God is good. Let's tell you about God. We just go, God is good and you're pathetic, unlike us. Amen. But that's not what Paul is on about. So let's, let's I'm, I'm not trying to give you a guilt here because we're talking about who we were. Let's not try and put ourselves into this position of, oh, aren't we grand and good and aren't we on a spiritual high and aren't we so much better than you and certainly better than the church down the road which doesn't even do communion every Sunday. And anyway, let's not go there because we need to remember that is not who we were. We were without God. Has anyone here got any Jewish heritage in them? There we go. You've got a little bit of history. So what? You too were without God. That's what Paul says. Even the Jews who had this heritage, they were living in the flesh, in a world apart from God. Darkness. Grab your chairs. Let's turn around again. But now, says Paul, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, there we go, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For though through him we, have both, we both have access 
in one spirit to the Father. See, the problem is division and distance. Paul's looking at them and going, right, there was this dividing wall between the Israelites and the non-Israelites, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And because of that, there was this dividing wall between you guys who had no connection with God, no, not even a corroded religion. There was no correspondence between you and God. There was division and alienation. Now, if there's division and alienation, the solution, well, God's solution is nearness and belonging. In Christ Jesus, says Paul, those who were formerly far away have been brought near, which is what God had always intended to do. From the very get-go, God intended to create a new humanity, bringing all things together. In fact, we've seen this. Just a couple of weeks ago, we saw how God uh, how Paul was saying God's universal plan is to unite everything under Christ. And now he's coming and he's digging into detail and he says, right, and this division between Jews and Gentiles and the people of God and the scum of the earth, no, he says all of a sudden God in Christ has brought the two together and has created a new people out of them. You see, what separated the Jewish people and the Gentile people back then wasn't, wasn't just culture, wasn't just, we don't like you. What separated them was God's good, holy law. And it is good. And it is holy. And, it is, and it's wonderful. But, but the problem with the law of God is that it is designed to point out how pathetic we are. It is designed to make us realize that we cannot ever please God. That's why they had sacrifices, because they had to know that, that there was a great cost. And that's why they had to have sacrifices often, because the law never actually made a permanent change. And we all know that, and I've said this before, if I tell you don't think about chocolate ice cream, you're thinking about chocolate ice cream. The law acts as a legal barrier between us and God. And it acted as a moral barrier between the prigs and the pigs. Now, I looked up prig. A prig is an upright, self-righteous person who thinks that they are better than the other one. It's the Jewish people that Paul is writing about here. Not, not all of them, but in general. He was saying, here you have the prigs who look down on the Gentiles and the Gentiles who are the pigs who think that these guys are prigs. And that's the law. That's the Jewish people going, we have God's commandments. We have hundreds of instructions that we follow. We won't walk this far on a certain day. We'll do all these things because, you know, we're, we're proving that we're, we're for God and you guys don't do anything, so you're obviously pathetic scum. And at the same time, the law comes and, and speaks to all of us and says, you just don't line up with what God wants. There is no one righteous, says Paul elsewhere. No one who seeks God. No one who understands. All have fallen away. They've all turned away and gone their own way. But now. The most important three-letter word in the Bible. 
time and again, but. But now Jesus has completed and nullified the law. Some of you looking worried. I'll talk about that in a second. Jesus fulfilled the law in his life. He lived the perfect life. And Jesus bore the curse of failing to do that in himself as well. Jesus completed the law. The law is about ticking boxes. Every single box has been ticked by Jesus. Even the ones that are about cursing for failure to live according to the law. You see, the problem that Paul mentioned here is that the Gentiles were living in the flesh, in a world apart from God. And even the the Israelites, they were doing their religion. It was mere religion, mere human religion. It was also in the flesh. And so God's solution is not to come and, and, and blast us and judge us as we should. God's solution is to become one of us and in His flesh, in His flesh, to join the two of us together and in his flesh to, to fulfill every requirement of the law that God has. And because he's done that, in Jesus there is no power anymore that the law has because the law has been completely completed in Jesus. And Paul's whole point over the last four, three weeks has been if we are in Christ then that is true of us as well. Go home today and reread Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 and Paul saying, what a miserable man I am. Who's going to save me from this life of, of sin and death and all this horrible stuff? And he comes to chapter 8 and he says, praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. I think I put in Savior there. But, but praise be to Jesus. Because in Jesus, the law and the condemnation and the division and the barrier between us and God and even the barrier between you and I is broken down in Jesus. In Jesus, there can be no them and us. He is our peace, says Paul in verse 14. If we are united with Jesus when we trust Him, if we become one with Him, and yet separate as well, then if I am in Christ and you are in Christ, then we are in Christ together. And acceptance with God is no longer about keeping the law, on which basis I can look down and say, well, you person sitting in this empty chair, You don't keep the law as well as I do, therefore you are not as good a person as I am. There is none of that anymore. That's what was happening. That's what Paul was complaining about. But how can there be any of that? Because acceptance with God is not by keeping the law. It's just by trusting in Jesus. Through Jesus' blood alone, says Paul. There is no far and there is no near. There is just in Christ. Co-located. Christ is our peace. Every barrier has been broken down. Galatians 3, Paul says, there is no longer slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile. 
We are one in Christ. There are no barriers in Christ Jesus. There are no barriers between us and God, and there are no barriers between you and I, whether we like it or not. And sometimes we don't like it, but that is just how it is. There is no place for them and us in the Christian church. Yes, there is still a them and there is still an us. But is there really? Actually, there's a in Christ and a not in Christ. But, doesn't that mean that we can fall into the same trap as the Jewish people of going, well, we are in Christ and we are better than you. You see, what, did, what does Paul say? He says, no. Jesus went. He not only is our peace, but he came and preached peace. He came and preached peace. And we're talking here about his post-resurrection appearances, and I want to say also that we're talking about his preaching peace through his church. And it's not that we have to make peace with people. We just share the news. It is God who makes the peace. It is God who reconciles. And when it comes to people in the church, yes, we need to live out again of who we are. We need to live at peace with each other. As much, as far as, as it is possible with you, live at peace with each other, says Paul somewhere else. And we can say to ourselves, do I choose to live in peace with you since we are both in Christ? Or do I insist that, well, I'm not sure about you. The result of being in Jesus is reconciliation with each other. But that's a side effect. The most amazing result of being in Jesus is reconciliation with God and access to Him. Access to Him not just as a mighty king, but as our Father. As siblings, we go to Him as our Father. And the Spirit who joins us in Christ to Christ brings us in Christ into God's presence. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of, God, of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is in the business of bringing what was divided and separate and uniting it under Christ. And now, says Paul, looking back 2,000 years ago, he says, what once were two separate people, God has joined together. Those who hated each other and called each other names, you're the uncircumcision, well, you're the circumcision, are now brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. 
members of God's families. No longer, says Paul, writing to these non-Jewish people, no longer are you living as refugees. Or to make it Australian, you are not illegal immigrants without any papers. Says Paul, you have been granted adoption papers and you are now not only citizens, poo-poo citizens, you are children of the king. Once we were alienated from each other and from God, and, and that's what sin does. Sin always causes divisions. But God comes and says, I have done away with sin in my son, in Christ Jesus. And I have united you in him and adopted you in him. And now you are new creations. And not only that, you are going to be, you are, in fact, the house of God. Not only are you family of God, you are the house of God of God, the temple of God, which is an incredible thing because who is God? God is holy and righteous and and incredible and amazing and the creator of all things. He cannot stand evil. And where does God say that he chooses to place his glory to to dwell? Not that he lives there, but, but, but the place where he is to be found. Where is God to be found? In us, in his house. In these people who at one point were going, yeah, 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 and the other people at one point going, oh, we're so good, we're so good, we're so good. (coughs) That's stabbing action, by the way. Where's God to be found? He's to be found in these people who were once divided from each other, who he has joined together and said, I'm making a new people, a new creation out of you. And I choose to dwell there. I choose to dwell here. I choose to dwell in this place among these people. In this temple that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and we're talking here, the the writers of the New Testament, teaching about who God is and this great gospel which says, stop doing and just start being. The cornerstone says, says Paul there, being Jesus Christ himself. Now, cornerstones can be huge. Something like, there's one they've found that is something like uh, 570 tons. These are big stones. Now, what's interesting about a cornerstone is that it actually sets the whole building up. The, The cornerstone is essential for a building. They're load bearing stones. But you know the other interesting thing about a cornerstone? You get them at the corners. I know, deep, isn't it? But if you think, what happens at a corner? You have two walls meeting. And it's no longer two walls, but a building. And if you didn't have a firm foundation, those two walls would buckle and bend. I don't know, I'm not a builder, but I'm sure this would happen. The cornerstone, the foundation at that join is important. That's what Paul is saying here. The foundation of Christ is important. It is him who holds the two together and makes them into one building. We are the house of God. God is glorified in bringing together that which was once divided. We are the temple of God. The place where people can encounter the living God. Can you get it in your head that that you, yes, you who still live in this world and still have parasitical sin in you, 
You are the temple of God. And people come to us and look at us to see God's glory. To see people who shouldn't get along together getting along together. says, Paul, remember who you were because of what God has done so that you know what God has done. Because the law has been completely fulfilled. As far as we are concerned, it is abolished. Because we don't have to keep it. Because Jesus has already kept it for us. Remember that you were far from God and that He has brought you near. Remember that it's not because how good you are. Remember that it's all because of how good He is. Remember that you were scum. And God loved you. I have one question to raise though. Paul says, remember who you were. But in Philippians chapter 3, he says, This I do, forgetting what is past. I turn forward my face and I press on to the goal that is before me and I forget what is past. Philippians chapter 3. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 is unique in the New Testament saying, Remember who you were. But Paul has got exactly the same point, really, in both places. He wants us to think of our lives as a life shaped by Christ, in Christ. Jesus is the focus and the goal that determines all that we are. And in fact, if you read through Ephesians, when you get home, Ephesians chapter 3, you'll find that Paul does, just before he says, forgetting what is past, he remembers what is past. He says, yes, that's who I was, but now I don't dwell on it. I move forward. You see, Paul's not asking us to wallow in sin and, oh, how pathetic I was. Paul just wants us to know that we should understand what we were. One of the great delusions of sin is that we forget sin. We don't remember. We're unaware of it. Paul's not saying wallow in who you were. Paul's not saying spend your whole time and your whole life facing the back at the blackboard where you can see, oh, I was, I was such a, a horrible person and oh, oh, I still see that in my life and oh, 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 woe is me and you, your face starts melting. Paul's not saying wallow in who you were. Paul's quite clear. He says it doesn't determine you, determine you anymore. He says, look at where you were and then look at what Christ Jesus has done for you. In fact, he says, therefore, at the beginning, because it's like this, Jesus, 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 wow, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's a glance back to go, what an incredible God he is. I think Paul would have us focus on the change that Jesus has made, how he has broken down the barriers, how he has taken what was divided and united it together. How he has made the two one. How every single barrier is gone in Christ Jesus. 
We have gone from being dead in sins to alive in Christ. We have gone from being excluded to being included. Some memories can be haunting and harmful. And part of the reason we need to look back is because we need to deal with them. We need to face life honestly. Paul's not saying suppress your past. Which we sometimes want to do is go, ah, I won't think about that. Paul's not saying suppress your past. He's saying face it, deal with it, but deal with it knowing that really your life is headed in the other direction. You're actually facing in the other direction and you're just dealing with what is in the past. Because that doesn't define you. What defines you as a Christian is Jesus' death and resurrection and exaltation because you have been raised with Him. We have died to self. We have been raised to new life with Christ. What defines us is not the blackboard at the back, but the King in whom we live and who lives in us. Father God, help us to live our life focused on you. Help us to look in the past, Lord, not to wallow in it, not to uh, beat ourselves up, but to, but to realize what you have done and to live out of that. Thank you, Father, that you have united us and called us together. Thank you that you are a great God. Thank you that you have done the impossible with us. Lord, may we celebrate your goodness to us over and over and over again. May our past not define us, but may all that you have done shape our lives. Help us to remember not only our past, but all that you have done and are doing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he give you joy and peace. May you know your past and rest in your glorious future that is with Christ. Amen.